Morning, everyone. Good to have you join us this morning. I can't see you, but you can see me, so I just assume that you're there. <laughs> I, uh, I wanted to uh, just encourage you this morning that um, this is the place to be. As we worship God, as we seek to know him better and to know his will, this is where you need to be this morning. Um, we look forward to what God is going to do in our hearts. I thank, I thank the worship team for already preparing our hearts to hear from God. It's wonderful to be able to worship, even though we can't meet face to face. I want you to look forward to also um, on, on August and when we have our outdoor service. Um, I hope that you set aside that time, that you'll join us out in the parking lot out there, and, and it will be a wonderful time. We pray for good weather. Um, also, look forward to that baptism, as, as Andrew said. I just want to encourage you. This is a time when, these are times when we celebrate as, as a church family, get back in connected with one another. These are both outdoor events, so they are, uh, we can social distance, and you don't have to be afraid of, uh, of being too close to those who you don't want to be close to. <laughs> that could be taken the wrong way too, couldn't it? Anyways, uh, so start off this morning, I want to talk to you more about John the Baptist. This will be the last part of this series. You know, when um, throughout the years as a, a believer in Jesus Christ, um, almost 20 years now, coming up to 20 years, and I'm 19, I believe, um, I've witnessed a lot of people who made professions of faith in Jesus Christ. I remember a really good friend of mine, and there, there's a few, so I'm not pinpointing anybody. I am, but you don't know who it is. <laughs> um, um, I remember a really good friend of mine who, who was on fire for Christ, and, and, uh, and they get really excited. Him and his, uh, his wife also made a profession of faith. Um, they weren't together at the time, but they... they seemed to be really loving the Lord and and but life got in the way and they started having financial problems and they started having marriage difficulty and relational problems and problems with children and and things just didn't seem to be going well for them and after a while they just they seemed to blame God for the things that were going wrong in their lives. They seemed to blame God and, and eventually drifted away altogether, as far as I know um, still today. I remember having another friend, a young man who I led to Christ. Uh, he he seemed to be on fire for the Lord, and, and after a while he just kept, fell back into uh, uh, living for the world, you know, partying and, and doing what he used to do. He saw he had Jesus, but he he wanted these other things as well, and and it wasn't long before he was getting more of the world in his life and less of Jesus. So I asked him one day. I said, "So why did you ask Jesus into your heart?" And his answer, I think I've shared this with you before, or some of you, the answer was to have a better life. And 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 there'd be the problem. <laughs> There's the problem because because sometimes. People accept Jesus Christ with expectations that are not real. Um, God, God doesn't promise us a better life in this world, and that's where the that's where the problem lies. And sometimes we we fall into this um, 
these expectations so that when things start to go wrong, we start to blame God or we start to drift away from God. And I've watched many, not just a couple, but many fall away from Christ. And it breaks my heart to know that that is true. So, so in essence, that's what I want to address here uh, this morning. I want you to be able to pay attention to um, what draws us away from God sometimes and why that happens and what we can do about it. What is the answer to that? Um, in essence, that's what, that's what I want to talk to you today about. You know, uh, we t- we're talking about John the Baptist, and we've seen that John the Baptist was called, and he lived out his life the way he was supposed to live it out. He did everything he was supposed to do, as far as we could tell. Um, but then today we, we come to a place where he's in a, an undesirable place. John the Baptist is in prison. <laughs> he's in prison. And, and so I want to, to look at today, I want to look at John the Baptist's life, and I want you to, to understand, first of all, that he is as human as you and I, and that the circumstances in his life caused him to rethink things and, and, and sometimes struggle with uncertainty or doubt <laughs> and, and what that means for us and what we can learn from that. Anyways, if you allow me to do that, if you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 1. Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 1. All right? And, and as we do that, I want to, uh, before we read that, I want to pray with you. I need to do that with you. So please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that, um, that you are always there for us. That once we receive you truly, sincerely in our heart as Lord and Savior, that you, um, you hold us tightly and you don't let us go. That we belong to you, that we are your children and you protect us. But Lord, may we, may we know in our hearts that uh, what we expect in our own lives are not necessarily what you are going to allow in our lives. And that we can be willing to receive what you have for us. That our hearts are tuned in to what you want for our lives, God. As we surrender our lives to you, we surrender them to your will. Lord, I pray that you will um, encourage us with that truth this morning. Help us to know what it means to live in in a time of uncertainty and what our response should be. God, help us to grow in that understanding and be more secure in what you have for us. God, I thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. We are so dependent upon it. And I pray that you will bless us this morning with truths that speak to our heart, that give us ability to walk boldly in this world according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the town of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, deeds of the Messiah he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? First of all, I want to ask you the question, if you're familiar with your Bibles at all, why was John in prison? You know, back, uh, I think a year, maybe even two years ago, Dennis preached a message on faith and doubt. 
where he addressed this. He addressed John the Baptist and many other aspects. He talked about how faith and doubt work. And you'll see some of those things complemented today in today's message as we talk about uncertainty, which another word could be doubt, right? And, and what that means for us. So John the Baptist was in prison basically because he did the right thing. He called out bad behavior. He called out wrong behavior. He called out an adulterous relationship. He spoke out about it. So in God's eyes, John the Baptist didn't do anything wrong. Really. Right? In God's eyes, John the Baptist did what was right. But yet, here he is in prison. You kind of can understand how John feels, can't you? How he must have felt at that time when, when here he is in prison. He's, 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 he's done everything God's called him to do. He's lived a life, you know, as, as God has called him to do it. He's done it well. And here he is. Did he do something wrong? Here he is in prison. You know, what's, on? what's going on here? How would we feel in that circumstance, you know? He's felt alone and, 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 and kind of distant from God. And, uh, and probably questioning, did I have the wrong guy? <laughs> you know, even though he was sure at one time, as Dennis pointed out in his message, even though he was sure, even though he's full of faith, he's now saying, did, now, did I have the wrong guy? You know, here he is in prison, spending a lot of time probably thinking about this. So here he sends his disciples out because he hears about Jesus teaching and preaching. Now, wouldn't that be affirmation? Why would he not be affirmed by that well i believe that there are a few reasons why john might have thought that he was maybe mistaken or had a little bit of doubt in his mind that he had some uncertainty in his in his life have you ever had uncertainty in your walk with christ maybe a little bit of uncertainty maybe as you read a passage that you just quite didn't understand or doesn't make sense to you or somebody brings some aspect up that you're just not grasping or you're in a circumstance where you that you don't like maybe you have some uncertainty in your life well john john definitely had some a little uncertainty in his life enough to send out his disciples to ask jesus if he was the one and so so it caused John to waver in his assurance. Now, there's, I believe there's a few reasons, few things that could cause John to waver. Now, the obvious one is he's in prison, right? Felt a little forgotten about here. Here I am. Jesus is out with all the disciples, some of my disciples, and he's doing his thing. And here I am still in prison. What's going on here? You know, maybe, maybe something's gone wrong. Maybe I did something wrong or something. You know, you don't know what went through John's mind, but enough to, for him to send something out, something to, to plant these seeds of uncertainty in his life. But I believe there are other things, too. It says that Jesus was out teaching and preaching. So he knows what, that, what he was doing. He knows what he's doing. He's out teaching and preaching, and, and, and so here he is. He's knowing Jesus, Jesus is doing a good work. But do you think that at that time there was an idea that the Messiah would come in a way of Moses to deliver his people? to deliver his people, to deliver God's people. That's what they expected, right? Do you think John was any different than that? To deliver his people and, and also that, that he would come in, a, in, a name, in a, the way of David to be a, a ruler, a conqueror. But Jesus wasn't doing any of these things. Here John is in prison. And so, so not only the fact that he's in prison, but 
nothing's really happened in the way that he might have expected them to happen. Most people, even his disciples, even Jesus' disciples saying, okay, when are you going to set up your kingdom, Jesus? Okay, you're doing all these things. You're performing miracles. Yeah, this is good stuff. But when are you going to set up your kingdom? I'm sure that this must have crossed John's mind. You know, what's going on here? Why am I in prison? What's going on? Why aren't things being done the way that I expected them to be done? Why aren't they happening the way I expected them to be done? And so, and, and, and if we go back to the beginning when John the Baptist was in the river with Jesus, way back then, I think there was a seed of doubt planted in John's mind. Well, there was. Because, because he, was, he was questioning Jesus. Jesus said, you know, it is, is right for you to baptize me. And John said, no, no, that doesn't seem right. I should be baptized by you. I shouldn't be baptizing you. Something doesn't seem right. It seems like I'm, I'm misunderstanding something or I'm not really getting something. There was a seed of doubt there. So all throughout this John's life, there could have been these little seeds of doubt. Now, he overcome them by faith, but there could have been these little seeds of doubt. And that's how doubt works, just these little seeds. And sometimes a new seed of doubt will remind you of an old seed of doubt or an old seed of uncertainty in your life. John was in prison. He thought he was forgotten about, or maybe that's what he thought. Maybe he was not sure if Jesus was doing what he thought he was supposed to do. There are certain things that can cause us to think outside of what things, what, what's happening in our lives. It can happen to us. Maybe you're in a circumstance that you've misunderstood. Maybe you're, through undesirable circumstances, the devil kind of prompts something in your mind, and, and you're thinking, okay, if God was loving and God was kind and God really cared about me, if God was really there, why is this happening in my life? Maybe that's the, what you've thought through these, um, through these little short increments of uncertainty in your life. Or maybe it's a lack of understanding. Maybe you're reading a scripture and goes, okay, if God was loving, why would he allow that to happen? If God wasn't powerful, why would he allow that to happen? How does this all go together? Maybe there your uncertainty comes about. Maybe there the devil goes, see, God is not really who he says he is. He's not that good. And these seeds of uncertainty come in your life. Maybe it's through God's seemingly um, inactivity in your life. Maybe you're not feeling God. Maybe he's not there as far as you could tell. Maybe you're just not experiencing him at the moment. Maybe that could cause you to have uncertainty in your life. These things are all real, right? And the reason why I bring them up is because these are the things that cause people to fall away from Christ. These are the things that cause people to, to make a decision. Either you're going to take your your uncertainty and you're going to dig into it deeper and and understand God and seek out God or you're going to take your uncertainty and you're going to allow it to lead to unbelief if it leads to unbelief then you're heading down a road of doubting God and blaming God and and there is no hope in that and I just want to I just want to share with you that this can happen even even as a new believer or a seasoned believer, someone who has been a believer for a long time. Sometimes you're walking along and you're pretty, pretty secure. And all of a sudden you get blindsided by this uncertainty, this, this seed that the devil plants there. And he wants you to believe. And 
And John the Baptist is an example that, that we can look at primarily because of his response and how he acted on that. He sent out someone to Jesus. I think uh, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves right now, right here, I want you to ask yourself this question. If you're a brand new believer, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, even if you're a seasoned believer, what are my expectations? What do I expect from God? What is it that I want from him? What is it I want for him? A common, a common response is, I have a picture in my mind, and this is what it's like if God is good, and this is what it's like if God's going to lead me in the way I want to go. This is what life looks like if God is in control and I've given my life to God. He's going to give me the desires of my heart. He's going to do the things that I want him to do. This, this is how many people have a perception of God. When things are not going well, when things do not go well, we, we kind of fall away because what we want is we want Christianity, we want becoming a Christian to be um, all about what we want. <laughs> and there's a danger in that because when we don't get what we want, our faith is shaky and weak when we understand it is becoming a christian is centered on submitting to christ and god's sovereign will for you and his ordained plan for you then you understand true christianity if you believe it is to fulfill your desires and your wants in this world and give you what you want then you are on shaky ground you are on sinking sand I mentioned that a couple of people that I knew had fell away, and then I told you that there's a lot of people who have fallen away since I've come to know Christ as my Lord and Savior. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. That's why I see the need to be able to speak into your life right now and to help you understand what true walking with Jesus Christ means, truly walking with him means. It's not a fulfillment of all your desires and wants. The promises are not in this world at all, but in the eternal. The promises are not in, in, in what we get, but, but what Jesus Christ wants for us. Following Christ means living a life, does not mean living a life of comfort and peace in this life. Only to find out when a trial comes along, when a test comes along, this is what this is what often thought of. Well, Jesus let me down. Jesus let me down. He really wasn't worth following. Is he worth following you? Or following not following you? Is he worth following? Side note: anyone who everyone who doubts does not fall away. But but understand something: everyone has times of uncertainty in their life and their walk. But the question is, what are you going to do with that uncertainty? Everyone who doubts has a decision to make. What did John do? He sent a couple of disciples out to check out what, what, if Jesus was the real deal or not. And what did Jesus do? Well, as, as, if you listen to Dennis's message... He, he, he gave Jesus or gave John um, 
a reminder of what the scriptures were, were to predict, the prophecy that was going to happen. And then he proved to him through his own actions, through his miracles, and all the things that are happening, yeah, that Jesus is the real deal. See, that's all John needed. That affirmed John. The word, word of God literally affirmed John. The word of God affirmed John. So what are you going to do? Are you going to keep going in a direction that brings you doubt or brings you uncertainty? Are you going to draw in closer to the word of God and allow the word of God to speak into your heart? It isn't all a matter of your heart, you know. It is all a matter of what you want in life. Do you desire God's will for your life? Do you desire him or do you desire the things of that your, your heart desires? Do you just want to add Jesus to what's already there? That's the question. Because true Christianity is not fulfilling your own desires, but fulfilling God's desire in you. <laughs> Do you get that? It's fulfilling God's desire in you. I want, you, I want to read what Jesus' response was to John, um, starting in, in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 11. Jesus replied, this is talking to the disciples, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the, the, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor, poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus didn't say this. He didn't say. What he didn't say is, hang on, John, things are going to get better. <laughs> I don't say this to, to, to make you sad, but, but, but this is not what Jesus promised. He doesn't say that you're, going to, that you're going to be rich and prosperous and healthy and things are going to go well in this world. That's not the promises of Christianity. That's not the promises of Christianity. The promises of Christianity is that we'll have an inner peace and a joy and a reconciliation with God. But our promises are in the eternal, not in the temporary. They're not in this world, but they're in the next. And I'm going to talk about that in a, in a moment. See, what John got was affirmation. Yeah, I know my experiences. I know what I'm going through. This is not what I really desire. This is not what really, really makes me comfortable. I really don't want to be here. But I do understand that Jesus is the one. He is the way. And that he is paying, paving the way for an eternal life. He is doing this. John's... John's Thoughts were not on the temporary anymore. He was affirmed in God. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what John's response was, but we can, we can look at the scriptures and we can understand that John was good with that because that's where it ends. John was good with that answer. He was good with that. Sometimes all we need is the word of God speaking into our lives, that truth speaking into our lives to encourage us to go on, to keep going, even in this seed of uncertainty. Keep reading, keep studying, keep seeking. He says, God says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. It is here that our heart's desire is not in the things that, uh, of this world, but our great reward, our great reward, get this, our great reward is God himself. That's our great reward. God himself is our great reward. Not the things of this world. Not the things that, that we can get 
out of God, but God himself is our great reward. When you understand that being a Christian is being reconciled to God himself and having a relationship with him and his will being revealed to us, in, revealed to our hearts through his spirit, that we may live for, through him, whether we are poor, whether we are sick, whether we know that we're going to die eventually, that we are living for him, that he is our joy, he is our reward, he is the one we live for. That's what true Christianity is about. Jesus didn't say, you, you follow me and I'll give you all of the desires of your heart. He says, follow me, do not pick up your cross and deny yourself. That's what he said. He said this because he, he wants us to know that being reconciled to God is at war with the world. And those things that rebelled against God and you get there in, in a few minutes. But I, I just want to talk to you a little bit about false teaching that's very evident out there. And some of you may think, well, you know, you got to be careful when you talk about false teaching. But the Bible talks a lot about false teaching. And and you may not be aware of it, but some of you, is, I know, are, are listening to some of it. <laughs> and this is how you dis- distinguish false teaching from real teaching. When the teaching is about you and your desires, is about making you happy. When it's not about what Christ desires and what God wants in your life. When it's about you being, when, when everything about it is about you having your desires fulfilled, that's, that's false teaching. And that's a prominent teaching. I know it sounds good. I know it even, they can even use the word of God and, and, and twist it in a way that makes it feel like, yes, God just wants to be rich and he wants me to be healthy. And if I don't believe that, then I just don't have enough faith. I just don't have enough faith. I need more faith. That's what I need. I need more faith in God. And, and I, I lack because I, I don't have enough faith. That's, that's the teaching out there. That is so unbiblical. That is so untrue. God doesn't promise that. The Bible doesn't promise those things. Another teaching is, is a little more subtle, but it's teaching the same things. It tells you that, that you know, what you can, you're just hang in there. I know you're going through a really rough time, but things will get better. Things will get better. Things will get better. You'll get richer. You'll get healthier. You'll get happier. You just got to hang in there. God just wants to see that you truly do believe. He just, he wants you to know that things will get better in this world. The world, the Bible does not promise that. You may go through this, get this, get this. And, and, and you know what? And this may turn people off, but you may go through life sick your whole life. You may go through life poor your whole life you may be falsely accused and spend your whole life in prison none of those things says that god will deliver you from those necessarily what god delivers us from as christian is the 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 world that wars against him god delivers us so that we may spend eternity with him You can have great faith in a Jesus that gives you whatever you want, but that's not biblical faith. You can have the greatest faith in a Jesus that gives you whatever you want, but that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is trusting in God no matter what. 
And whether you go through sorrows or pain or suffering in this world, you have their promise of an eternal one. That's biblical faith. So when your seed of doubt comes, see, when your seed of doubt comes and your circumstances change and they're not desirable, what happens is people fall away because their faith is not real. It's not in Jesus Christ who doesn't promise those things to be good. He promises an eternal life. He promises the peace with God. He promises an eternal joy that's evident no matter what your circumstances are. He promises that he is your great reward. That's what the Bible promises. I'm not saying that he wants you to be unhappy. I'm not saying that he doesn't want you to have peace and joy. He does promise you those things, but they're not in the things of this world. That's the difference. They're not in the things of this world. These things of the world war against God. They become gods within themselves. They become a greater desire than God himself. And God says, I will not share my glory with another. That's what, that's what this false teaching teaches. You know, it teaches about, you know what, it's about you, and God just wants you to be happy, whatever that takes, and he'll give you whatever you want to be happy. No. He says, I want you to find your joy and your peace and your rest in me. I am enough. <laughs> I am enough for you. John the Baptist got affirmed, and that's all he needed. That's all he needed is a word from God. That's all he needed. Are you affirmed by the word of God? Even in the midst of your circumstances? When there's a seed of doubt planted in your life, what affirms you? What affirms you? Do you run after those things that, that give you better satisfaction than God? That fulfill the needs that you want right now? That fulfill the desires of you right now? Are you going to stick with God no matter what through thick or thin? Are you going to trust in him? Are you going to trust in him? You, you know, even Jesus, even Jesus prayed, if there's any other way, remove this cup from me. Even Jesus, in his humanness, didn't want to live through what he lived through. But he says, nevertheless, your will be done. That's Christianity. We are to follow after him. Um, uh, Tim Keller uh, has this, uh, talks about this, about faith and about doubt, really. It says, I imagine you, imagine you are high on a cliff and you lose footing and begin to fall. Just beside you as you fall is a branch sticking out of, a very edge of, the, of the very edge of the cliff. It is your only hope and it is, more strong, it is more than strong enough to support your weight. How can it save you? If your mind is filled with intellectual certainty that the branch can support you, but you don't actually reach out and grab it, you are lost. If your mind is instead felt with doubts and uncertainty that the branch can hold you, but you doubt and uncertainty that the branch can hold you, but you reach out and grab it anyways, you will be saved. Why? It is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. It is God that you trust in. It is him. You know, that brings it to the next point, and the point that I really want to close on, and that's 
called suffering. You know, John the Baptist probably didn't sit in prison with caviar and champagne. Well, he didn't drink champagne anyway. But, you know, he didn't, he didn't sit there and, and, and enjoy life. I'm sure prison was rough. He was suffering. He suffered ultimately into death. You know, and the thing is, is at First Peter two twenty, we are called to suffering. Those who who God doesn't call us to to get what we want and desires. He calls us to suffering. Listen to this. Listen to this, and, and, and bear with me. If, if if you shut off right now, just bear with me because I want to explain to you why suffering needs to happen. Okay, what it is about suffering. I want I want to share with you that in a moment, and and so bear with me. But listen to First Peter chapter two, verses twenty twenty one. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. But to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. See, becoming a follower of Christ is living for Christ, is suffering very much like Christ suffered. And, and I want to explain to you about, about the suffering See, in this world, okay, okay, this, are you paying attention? Because this is really important. This really gives us a good understanding of suffering, okay? In this world, in this world, the problem is that the world rebels against God. Now, who is that and what is that? That's every single heart, okay, rebels against God. That's the problem, okay? Every single heart, that's you and I have rebelled against God. We've all been there at one time. We rebelled against God. And that's the problem. We've gone our own way, right? So the, the world of rebellion against God says that that God that God the world is at war with God. So when Jesus Christ came, He come to reconcile. He come to fix that. He come to to bring those who were rebelling against Him to His side. He came to, to make them so they were not. So as Christians, when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are literally changing sides. We're no longer rebelling against God, but by our spirit and belonging to Christ, we rebel against the world. Now, we don't go out in rebellion, but the world rebels against us. Why? Because it rebels against God, because it rebels against Christ. And because we belong to Christ, it rebels against us. So if you live in a hostile environment that rebels against you, you are going to suffer. That's just naturally how it's going to happen. Now, if you conform and fit in and enjoy all the things of the world that rebelled against God in the first place, then you're probably not going to suffer the same way. You may suffer the, the results of sin in the world, but to suffer in this world means that, as a Christian, means that you are suffering against what rebels against God. You are on God's side now. Does that make sense to you? That, that suffering happens because of a rebellion against, against the world, because now you belong to Christ. It only makes sense. See, the thing is, is that we, we have changed sides, but we are still on the ground. We are still here. We are still, we are still at a disadvantage because we, uh, we don't have the home turf. <laughs> we don't have the home turf. We are still in a rebellious world belonging to God. And when you're in a rebellious world belonging to God, the world comes against God. It comes against you if you were representing God. Make sense? 
So you're not living in a world of luxury. You're not, God doesn't come and, and, and become your Savior so you can have luxury in this world. No, he comes so that your life can be purged from those things that once rebelled against God. He's going to purge your life from those things. And you're going to suffer because of them. Whatever you cling to in this world, God's going to, God's going to bring into your life the, the, the need to get rid of that from him. The things that rebel against him. That causes suffering. However, suffering in, in, in this world doesn't mean that God wants you to suffer pain and but he wants to bring you completely to himself. Please be aware, the te- teaching, get, get this, the teaching out there, and this is what my main point is, I really want to because it's laid heavy on my heart. There's a teaching out there, and, I, and I've already pointed out, that has the appearance of good, that even involves scripture. And you've got to be aware, okay? It can be so subtle. It can be so subtle, or it can be straight out not subtle, <laughs> There's a teaching out there that tells you that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and comfortable in this world. But true Christianity says God comes to save you from this world. And now the things of this world are what your heart needs to rebel against. Those things that once put an enemy between you and God are now things things of the wealth of this world. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have money. I'm not saying it's wrong to be healthy. I'm just saying that if those things become what you desire more than God, then you're missing the point. You're missing the point. And any teaching that would lead you in that direction is leading you astray. Because when suffering does come and when things go wrong, that faith fades away. Because it's not in anything steadfast and true, but God is immovable. And he's always the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you suffer, if you go through pain, if you go through sickness, because eventually we all die, if you go through these things, you, you, you know that he's still the same. And our promise is not in this world, but it's in the next. Uh, Paul spoke it clearly in Philippians 3. When he, when he, he spoke his heart. Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, this is true Christianity, okay? I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection. Yeah, that sounds good, doesn't it? To know the power of his resurrection and a participation in his sufferings. Okay, what kind of person says that? Want to participate in his sufferings? Becoming like him in his death? So somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. In other words, I want, I, want, I want to die with Christ and all the things that he rebelled against. I want to die with him so I can live for him. I want to live for him. And that may be contrary to what the world desires and the things that the world wants to feed me. And my itching ears want to hear. Because who wants to suffer? Nobody wants to suffer. But if you choose between living for this world of comfort and God... You're choosing, if you choose comfort in this world, then you're choosing wrong. You know, I just was reading, I was sharing with the guys, I was just reading uh, uh, devotion on R.C. Rao, and, and this is how, he, I'm not going to be able to quote him word for word, but he said, he said this, he says, all the pain and the suffering and, and death and, and, and that happens in the world, 
is actually affirmation that the Bible is true. Do you get that? It's actually affirmation that the Bible is true. You know why? Because the Bible is the only thing that hits it head on. The Bible, the Bible, Christianity is the only thing that says, okay, this is why this happened. <laughs> and this is what God has done to conquer it. There's no other, there's no other de- deism or there's no atheism that addresses the issues of pain and suffering in the world. It's only Christianity that does, and it's only Christianity that's straight up with you, and it's Christianity that points out why it happened, and the Christianity that says what, hap- what God done because it has happened. Okay, you get that? So it's affirmation that the Bible is true, these things going on in life. That's what it is. It's reality that it is true. And I don't know how much that gives you hope in your current circumstance, but the reality is whatever you're going through, he can be affirmed that, yeah, God knows about it, and he loves you. And he says, yeah, it's part parcel living in this world. Don't you hate it? Don't you hate it? Why would you want to hang on to the things of this world any longer? Hang on to the eternal things. Live in this world like you belong to God. Allow him to be your hope. Not, not the hope, not the things of this world. Allow the eternal things to be your hope. It should not come to a surprise as a believer that we will go through hard times in this world. Anything that teaches you otherwise is anti-biblical. It's not what the Bible teaches. I know it's what you want to hear. I know it's what we like. But our promises, listen, there is joy and there is peace beyond the things of this world. They will burn up in the fire. They'll be gone here today and gone tomorrow. We want something that will last. You know, that you can live a life of great joy and victory. Paul points it out when he was in prison, or shows it when he's in prison. You can live a life of great peace and joy and, and comfort in this world without having all the luxuries of the world. Because your great reward is in him alone. Is yours? Is that the Christianity that you look to? Is it trusting in God through Jesus Christ? Is it trusting that he has paid your sin debt in full and that you'll spend eternity with him? Is your hope and promises not in this world, but the next? Is it your desire for people to know how great your God is? You know, the, the more we get into the word, the deeper we know him. It's a peace that passes understanding. You can't even grasp it. You can't even understand it. Because you can have joy in the midst of suffering. I don't get it. I don't understand it really except for it's God. He's worth it. He is the great reward. So, what are you going to do? What are your expectations when you trust in Jesus Christ? Is the eternal glory is for the purposes that he has for you? Is it for the temporary things of this world? And you're just using Christ as your magic genie. <laughs> because then when, when doubt, uncertainty come along, the faith fades away. But when you trust in the one true God, that faith lasts forever. I hope you'll enjoy me for a discussion. Any questions that you might have on the Zoom meeting here in about five minutes, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a Zoom meeting. The link is at the top of the 
Facebook page. You can click on it and just come and talk to us about about what you thought of today's message, whether you want to argue with me or, well, don't argue with me, but disagree with me or, or not. Um, I'd, be, I'd be anxious to talk to you about what it means to follow Christ and how much joy and peace there is in that. True joy, lasting joy, not temporary, circumstantial joy. Let me pray with you. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Lord, may you um, allow us to live in this, these promises of eternal life and not in the temporary circumstances of this world, knowing that our hope is eternal and not, um, and not in the things or the circumstances, but in you alone. God, you are so good. You are so good. Lord, may we we all as Christians want to know you more and know the the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your sufferings, knowing that as we purge the things of this world away and and the desires of our our lustful thinking, the things that rebelled against you, that we can have a a complete comfort and contentment um, in you. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.